If you hadn't seen the HBO series, The Band of Brothers, it's about Easy Company and their mission in World War II in Europe to uh, defeat the Nazis, to liberate the Jews from oppression, and to keep the Nazi Germany and the Axis powers from taking over the world. And so they were fighting for freedom for people in our country and for freedom for people all around the world. And they went through, as you heard in this video, if you're here last week and, and you saw that one, you, you've seen the tremendous sacrifice and costs uh, these men were willing to pay uh, for their mission. And what we've said in this series and what we said last week is that the, the call to be a disciple is equated to and is compared to the call to be a follower of Jesus, like to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We saw last week that, that Paul said to Timothy, join with me like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we see this comparison between the follower of Jesus, the disciple, and a good soldier. We see this comparison made, and we see it often in the New Testament. And much like a soldier, we have a commanding officer, Jesus, who's given us orders, a mission, to go and make disciples of all the nations. And we see that in Matthew 28 and in Acts 1 verse 8, where Jesus has told us to go and make disciples of all the nations, to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So we have standing orders from our commanding officer. And then much like a real soldier, we have an enemy. Now, what we said last week is this enemy may not be the enemy that you're thinking of. In this series, we're talking about the enemy like in my heart, in your heart, the enemy within the church, like in the body of Christ that prevents us from living out the cause of Christ, the, the mission of Jesus. And so in this series, that's what we're talking about, the three greatest enemies to the cause of Christ. And here's what we've said they are. First of all, the consumer. And so last week we said, God is calling us to be contributors, not just consumers. If you missed that, you can go on our podcast and, and check that out. Tonight, we're going to look at the comfortable and how the comfortable are enemies to the cause of Christ. And then finally, we'll look at the coward and how the coward is an enemy to the cause of Christ. Now, what we've said is, and we said this last week, that in this series, we're talking about some hard things. Like we're talking about being radically committed followers of Jesus. And, and that's not easy. That, that, that's hard. And we'll be confronted with the truth of God's word that will show us what does it look like and what is the commitment that we should have as disciples of Jesus. And then when we see like our commitment in our life doesn't really match up, doesn't really measure up to what we see in the scripture, at least it doesn't for me, we get convicted. And that's what God's word does. It corrects us. It rebukes us, it trains us so that we will experience the, the freedom and the joy and the life that God wants every one of us to have. And so the Christian embraces the conviction. We don't run from conviction. We embrace the conviction and say, yes, Lord, now by your Holy Spirit, would you help me to change in my, so that my life would look more and more like what I see a disciple's life should look like in the scripture. Well, you heard in the video, the men talking about this battle of Bastogne and they give a lot of accounts. And this is another account of this battle that they're referring to. 
that in December of 1944, it had been six months since the invasion of Normandy, since D-Day. And the same soldiers who landed on D-Day found themselves still fighting day in, day out, pushed much further than they ever originally anticipated. And their supplies were running low. You heard one of them talk about how they were down to one round of ammunition per soldier at one point. Well, in December 18th, the soldiers of the 101st Airborne and Easy Company were completely surrounded by the Nazis in the town of Bastogne. They had little ammunition, barely any food, and most soldiers did not have cold weather gear, yet found themselves fighting in 14 degrees Fahrenheit weather. They were outnumbered five to one. They were under constant bombardment from artillery shells. And so the German commander demanded their surrender or their total annihilation. And the American brigadier general responded with a note with words I cannot repeat, but simply to say, he said, no, thank you. These soldiers in Easy Company were extremely uncomfortable. I, I mean, that's like the understatement of the century, that they were willing to embrace the discomfort. They were willing to pay a price for the cause of their mission. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, are called to be willing to pay a price, not much different from theirs. You see, our examples in the scripture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, like our Lord and Savior Jesus himself, and people like Paul, the greatest missionary and evangelist this world has probably ever seen, we, we see their examples and we get a glimpse of their lives and what their lives looked like. And it gives us a glimpse of maybe some of the costs, or at least the level of cost and sacrifice that our examples in the scripture were willing to pay. And so let's look at Jesus first. Let's look at the example of Jesus. This is Matthew 8, verse 19 and 20. Jesus said this, one of the teachers of religious law said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And my prayer is, is that you find your heart saying the same thing tonight. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Whatever you say, I will do it. Wherever you go, I'm going. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Whatever you tell me to say, that's what I'm going to say. I'll follow you wherever you go. Whatever it means, Jesus, I'm with you. I pray that's your heart. And if it's not, I pray this series will lead you to say, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go and whatever it means. But then I think Jesus would say to you, like he said to this man, whoa, 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 whoa. I appreciate that. Like, that's great. That's awesome but you need to understand what it's like to follow me. And then look what Jesus says. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I don't have a home. I don't have a bed. I don't know where my next meal's coming from. Like if you're gonna follow me, he's telling this man, it might mean giving up some of the comforts and luxuries of this life because I don't have any of that. And the call to follow Jesus, while it may not look exactly like this, when we read through the New Testament, there is no less of a call to sacrifice and the willingness to get uncomfortable for the cause of Christ for you and I. This is what well, Jesus, you want to follow me, you got to count the cost. 
Like, I love, I love your heart. I love that you're saying you want to follow me. But, but if you're going to follow me, things are going to get tough. It means you're going to get uncomfortable. Let's look at Paul's life. Next, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. He said this, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged or beaten more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. In other words, he was saying five times I was beaten or I was whipped by the Jews 39 times. It was the 39 lashes, Paul says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my fellow Jews, danger from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of all my concern for all the churches. Paul says, listen, following Jesus has not been all roses and rainbows for me. It's been very difficult. I've had to pay a great price to follow Jesus. Now, I know some of you are like, but Paul, I mean, come on, really? Paul, come on. You didn't have to get up for an 8 a.m. class. I mean, come on. I have to get up for 8 a.m. classes. Paul, you probably never had to do any papers or tests or anything like that, right? I mean, sure, you were in danger and you're getting beaten, all that stuff, you know, whatever. That's, you know, yeah, nice little Paul. Have you ever had to do a paper or a test or had a midterm or a final? Because that stuff's really difficult. I mean, can you imagine, after like reading all of this, like getting to heaven one day, seeing Jesus, seeing Paul, some of the other disciples, and then giving them all of your excuses as to why you didn't serve the cause of Christ? I can't. Can you picture that one day? Like giving all the reasons and the excuses why you couldn't be more committed to Jesus, why you couldn't serve the cause of Christ? I mean, these are our, these are our examples. Now, others of you might be going, wait a second though. Like what happened to like Jesus and Paul being just like healthy and wealthy and prosperous and living their best life now, right? I mean, I, I thought that was the point of following Jesus to be healthy, wealthy, prosperous, and to live my best life now. Listen, I don't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere. What I'm referring to in our country is called the prosperity gospel. The idea that if you were to follow Jesus, it means you're always going to be blessed. You're always going to have uh, money and the more faith that you have, the more money that you'll have, uh, the healthier you'll be, the more prosperous you will be, and you'll get to always be living your best life. That's nowhere promised or said that's what it looks like to follow Jesus in the scripture. To me, that's a false teaching that our country has promoted and unfortunately exported to the rest of the world. I find that nowhere in the scripture. Our example, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus, said he didn't have a home, he didn't have a bed, he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. That's Jesus, the Son of God, the one we're following. So if everything in his life wasn't healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and best life now kind of stuff, then why would we think that would be true 
for us. Now, Jesus said, you want to follow me, you got to take up your cross, die to yourself, die to the American dream and follow me. And for those of us that find ourselves in a place of comfort, like I do, if I'm honest, I think Jesus has two words for us tonight. Two words for a comfortable American church. And maybe if you kind of find yourself in a spot where you've gotten a little too comfortable, maybe Jesus would be saying these two words to you tonight. So what are they? Well, let's go. Mark chapter one, verse 16 and 20. Jesus is starting his ministry. He's calling his first disciples. And so watch what happens. It says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. So this is what's normal for them. This is what's familiar. They're fishermen. This is what they know. And now Jesus is gonna come along and call them to follow him. So Jesus calls out to them, come Follow me, and I'm going to show you how to fish for people. You, you know how to fish for fish, but if you follow me, I'm going to show you something new, something you don't know how to do. I'm going to take you from the known into the unknown. I'm going to take you from what you're comfortable with, fishing for fish, and you're going to begin to fish for people as you follow me. I'm going to take you into the unknown. I'm going to take you into and, and show you how to do something maybe you're not so comfortable doing. So you're going to follow me. And we're going to fish for people. And it says they left their nets at once and followed him. They left the known for the unknown. They left what was comfortable to them for what was uncomfortable to them. A little further up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets because they were fishermen too. And so Jesus calls to them and says, they, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat behind with the hired men. So they even leave relationships and community that they're comfortable with for following someone they don't really know too well. So, so everything about Jesus calling these first disciples is again, leaving the known for the unknown. It's following Jesus out of what's comfortable into what's uncomfortable, right? I mean, that's what, that's what's happening here. And so here's what I want you to see that just before we keep going. First of all, is that a lot of times the greatest enemy of faith is not fear. The greatest enemy of faith is the familiar. Oftentimes fear will lead to great steps of faith. But most of the time, one of the greatest enemies of faith, steps of faith, is the familiar. It's what we're comfortable with. And so watch this. Then one of the greatest enemies of the cause, like the cause of Christ, is the comfortable. Because if the disciples had just stayed where they were at and what they knew and what they were familiar with and what they were comfortable with, they wouldn't have followed Jesus to go and fish for people. And so oftentimes, the greatest enemy of faith is what's familiar. It's what you're comfortable with. And the greatest enemy to the cause, the cause of Christ, is the comfortable. Well, let's keep going. Let's see what happens next. So Jesus and his companions, his new disciples, go to the town of Capernaum. Well, when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly, a man in the synagogue 
who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out. He hadn't done this before, but there's a man in this synagogue. And so we believe because he was there that day, oftentimes people in the synagogue were regulars in the synagogue, which meant that he would have been there week after week. He would have been a regular if he was there that day. And so he was possessed by an evil spirit, but he cried out. There was something different about this day. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know, I know who you are. You're, you're the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him and said, be quiet, come out of the man. And these are the two words that I think Jesus has for us in our comfort. Come out. He ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed through the man into convulsion and then came out of him. Because when Jesus says something, when Jesus commands something, it happens. And so Jesus said, come out. And the spirit came out. Now the Capernaum, the town of Capernaum is called or known or is translated as the village or the town of the comforter. And it was in this town that Jesus based a lot of his ministry out of. It was in this town that Jesus did more miracles than any other place that he visited. But it was also a town that Jesus cursed. Why? Why would Jesus curse the town he based his ministry out of? Why would Jesus have a curse for the town where he did most of his miracles? Like that doesn't make sense, right? Well, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you've seen the miracles, but you did not repent of your sin. You've seen all these miracles, but you didn't repent of your sin. So Jesus said, it will be very difficult for you, O town of Capernaum, on the judgment day. Because they saw all the miracles, but they did not repent. Maybe, maybe it was because they had gotten too comfortable in the town, the village of the comforter. Maybe they had gotten too comfortable. Well, Jesus shows up and it says, suddenly this man in the synagogue, who it's believed probably would have been there week after week, suddenly this man in the synagogue, who's possessed by this evil spirit, cries out. Now, why did he never do that before? You, you mean to tell me this man had been sitting in religious gatherings like week after week and had never been affected by what was happening? The, the spirit had never cried out. You mean to tell me that this man had sat in these religious services week after week, possessed by a demon and had left none the different every single week? And some of you are like, hey, listen, my friend's here and, and they're, they're, they're sitting here and there's nothing going on in them. I went to church with my parents growing up all my life. How could this man who was possessed by a demon sit in these gatherings week after week and, and, and not be affected? And the spirit not cry out like it did on this day? It's because this day, Jesus was there and these people met Jesus for the very first time. They had been going through all the routine. They had been going to their religious gatherings week in and week out, but they had never encountered Jesus before. And listen, the same thing could be true for you and I. You could go to the gatherings and be committed to the routine, but never have encountered Jesus before. You can say all the right things. You can show up every week, 
But if you've never actually encountered Jesus, then there's no life change. But when you really genuinely encounter Jesus, your life is totally different from that day forward. It just is because you met Jesus and Jesus changes people's lives. And so Jesus confronts this man and his words bring conviction to this man. Now, when Jesus confronts this man, he doesn't condemn him. Those are two different things. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. There's a difference between confrontation even and condemnation. Jesus doesn't condemn the man like he's angry or mad or upset with him. No, Jesus confronts him and brings conviction. And so here's what you need to know. When God speaks to you through his word and you feel convicted over your sin or maybe convicted over your level of comfort maybe tonight, it's a good thing. And when Jesus says, come out of that sin or come out of that comfort, it's for your good. It's for your joy. It's for your healing and forgiveness and restoration. It's not because he's mad at you. It's because he wants what's best for you. And so he will confront the sin in your life. He will convict you of the things in your life that don't match up to his word. And it's at that moment when Jesus brings conviction, confrontation, but not condemnation. But when he brings conviction, you have a choice. Do you respond in obedience to him and experience the, the joy and the freedom, the forgiveness, the restoration that God has for you? Or do you remain in your sin and run from him because the conviction's tough, because it's difficult, because it confronts something in your life that you love dearly? Or maybe you've gotten too comfortable with. You have a choice. But know this, when you experience conviction and confrontation from God's word, it's for your good. It's God saying, I want what's best for you. It's God as the perfect father saying, son, daughter, I want what's best for you. I love you. His conviction, his confrontation is a loving thing. Like a great dad or a great mom that tells their child, hey, you got to stop playing in the street. Because if you don't stop playing in the street, you're going to get hit by a car and so the good parent will say, you've got to stop playing in the street. They will confront you. They will bring conviction into your life about something that you're doing that's leading to your destruction. And because they love you, they confront you. And that's what God does with his word. And that's what Jesus does in this moment. He confronts the man. He brings conviction. And when the man is free from this demon, he's now living out and experiencing the life that God had always planned for him. You see, God brings conviction and confrontation for your good. And you may never have thought about this before, but it's often the devil that wants to make you feel comfortable. Because you see, if the devil can make you comfortable in your sin or in your disobedience or even just too comfortable in life, it means you'll stay right where you are. 
broken, hurting, ineffective in the kingdom of God. He's got you right where he wants you. And so it's often the devil that wants to make us feel comfortable, even in our sin. Because oftentimes, especially in relationships, and if you're like me in a bad dating relationship, you get really comfortable in that relationship. But you know it's, it's not God's best. Whether it's an abusive relationship or a sexual relationship or whatever the case might be. If you're like me, when I was in college, I got real comfortable in a bad relationship. And Jesus continued to say, come out, and I didn't. But when I finally did, when I finally left what was comfortable to me, even in my sin, for what was uncomfortable, the unknown, the unfamiliar, God brought about the healing and the forgiveness and the restoration and ultimately brought me the person that I would marry. But it took me getting me out of my comfort zone to know and to experience that. You see, it's often the devil that wants to make you feel comfortable. But following Jesus always means coming out of your comfort zone. It always means a disruption to the familiar. Taking new ground for the cause of Christ always means getting uncomfortable. So here's my, my challenge for you tonight. It's this, it's to come out. And here's why, because a commitment to the cause, like the cause of Christ means coming out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's what we saw with the disciples, right? If they were going to be committed to the cause of Christ to go and fish for people like Jesus wanted them to do, it meant leaving what was comfortable. It meant leaving what was known, leaving what was familiar for what was unknown for what was uncomfortable. And so a commitment to the cross always means coming out of your comfort zone. And so here's some comfort zones for us to consider. Number one, the temperature of your heart. Like when you look at your passion, your desire to follow Jesus, to worship Jesus, to spend time in God's word, to spend time in prayer, to serve the cause of Christ. Like, is there a, a heartbeat there? This is, yes, that's what I want. I need this. I need your word, God. I love your word. I love to worship you. I love praying. I love serving the cause of Christ. Like if that's in your heart, then your heart's on fire for the things of God, for the cause of Christ. But if your heart's not like beating for that, if that's not exciting to you, if that's not like your dream and your passion is to worship Jesus and serve Jesus and get to know Jesus better, something's wrong. You've gotten a little too comfortable. And maybe your heart's grown cold to the things of God. It's not hard or hot and on fire for the things of God and for your relationship. Maybe your heart's gotten a little cold. It's gotten a little comfortable. Secondly, another comfort zone is misplaced priorities. This may be your schedule that prevents you from spending time with God or spending time with God's people. Maybe if you have trouble spending time with God or spending time with God's people, maybe, maybe one of the reasons is your schedule. Especially as a college student. Maybe... You've had some misplaced priorities in, in the way that you have had responsibility to study and to do things ahead of time. 
You know what's, what's interesting with Raider Church and like doing college ministry? Like I'm just gonna kind of let you behind the curtain just a little bit here for just a second. Like you will launch a semester and you can launch a semester like at Raider Church or some of the other college ministries here in town that I'm friends with. Uh, you can launch a semester with, with hundreds of college students and then by the end of the semester have like 25% of what you launched with. Isn't that funny? I'm friends with uh, Travis Bailey, who's the college pastor at The Way here in town. And when he first got here to Lubbock and he first started doing college ministry, we went to lunch one day and he was like, bro, what, what's the deal here? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, man, I can launch and have hundreds of students. And then by the end of the semester, I have nobody. And I was like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it is. Why is that? You know, that's why we're doing this series right now, right? And not the beginning of a semester. You have to launch a semester in college ministry. You usually have to launch a semester talking about sex or something, because that's what everybody wants to hear about. Or God's will for my life, things like that. You don't launch a series of band of brothers talking about dying for Jesus. I wonder if the reason for that is this, it's misplaced priorities. It's the temperature of our heart. We don't, we don't really care about spending time with God or spending time with God's people. Maybe we get too comfortable as the semester goes on. Here's another one. What about the depth of concern that you have for the things that break God's heart? Did you know God's heart breaks for things? Like when you read through the scripture, we find that God's heart breaks for many things like the plight of the orphan or the widow, the single mom, the poor. God's heart breaks for unreached people groups, people who've never heard the name of Jesus before, people who will live and die and never, not once, hear the name of Jesus, see a Bible, see a church. Did you know that's over 40% of the people on our planet can be born, live, and die and never, not once, hear the name of Jesus or know who Jesus is, see a Bible, or see a church. Over 40% of the population on our planet, that will be their life. They will never hear the name of Jesus. That breaks the heart of God. And so if your heart never breaks for the things that break God's heart, something is wrong. Something's wrong. Like if your heart is never broken over the things that, God hearts, that God's heart breaks for, like the plight of the orphan, the widow, the single mom, the prisoner, the poor, the, the lame, the unreached people groups all over our planet. If your heart never breaks for those things, something is wrong. If you're never concerned about the things that break God's heart, something is wrong. Maybe you've gotten too comfortable. I'll never forget hearing David Platt say this one time in a missions conference. He said, the reality of unreached people groups cannot be tolerable to the follower of Jesus. It cannot be tolerable. We cannot tolerate. We should be willing to give whatever money it takes and get as uncomfortable and to pay whatever sacrifice and whatever the cost it means so that people who've never heard can hear the name of Jesus. It cannot be tolerable. And so if your heart is never broken over the things that 
break God's heart. Maybe you've gotten too comfortable because there's not a depth of concern there for the things that God is concerned about. Here's another one. Maybe our standard of living. Now, some of you are like, I'm just a poor, you know, college student, you know, whatever. But here's what you've got to realize and understand. You're going to graduate. You're going to get a job. You're going to start making some money. Maybe a little, maybe a lot. Some of you are like, I'm really hoping to marry someone that's going to make a lot of money because I don't know if I'm going to make any money at all. And here's what you've got to understand about the Christian and the comforts and luxuries of this life, especially in this country. You see, here's, I think, the level, and I'm going to show you some things that I think are the standard for what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in in this country with the level of comforts and luxury that, that we're used to in our country. Here's what Randy Alcorn said about this in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He said, too often we assume that God has increased our income to increase our standard of living when his stated purpose is to increase our standard of giving. And so as you graduate and get married or not or whatever, and you enter the workforce, as a committed follower of Jesus, my prayer is you will understand that the cause of Christ is worth giving for. It's worth giving to. Like, it's not all about raising my standard of living and getting more and more stuff. That's what we talked about last week, just consuming more and more. No, Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive. So Randy Alcorn says, for the Christian, the committed follower of Jesus should always be praying about, okay, I've got more money here, or we got this additional income there. How can I raise my standard of giving and not always just be so consumed with raising our standard of living? Here's what C.S. Lewis said, kind of the similar thing. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts and luxuries and amusements is up to the standard of common among all of those other people with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things, this is true for the Christian, he's saying, there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditures excludes them. In other words, for the Christian, there ought to be things that you want to do, you'd love to do it, but you can't do it because you're giving away your money for the cause of Christ. And this is the New Testament example. Not the American dream, the cause of Christ. And then finally, maybe another place to examine is your level of effort. Like to go and make disciples, to to serve the cause of Christ, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You know, a lot of times, if there's any inconvenience whatsoever, any cost, any effort, most American Christians say, I'm out, that's too much, can't handle that. We will put forth great amount of efforts for things that benefit ourselves, but the level of effort that most Christians in our country put put forth for the cause of Christ is so low, it's embarrassing. 
And that's why churches are always looking for more volunteers. You would think with a bunch of Christians whose savior came to serve and not to be served, that wouldn't be an issue, but for some reason it is. You would think in churches filled with Christians, there would be, should never be any giving issues. Well, what we know about Christians in our country is that only 2% of Christians actually give a full tithe, 10%. Two, 2%. I mean, something's wrong here, right? Something's majorly, drastically wrong. If 2% of Christians in any given church give a full tithe, like something's wrong there. Maybe it's because we've gotten too comfortable. And so I think Jesus would tell us in our comfort, come out. Come out of your comfort because the cause of Christ is worth it. You know, some of you know this, some of you may not, but this is the, the college ministry of what's called the city church. And so uh, this is where our church meets on Sunday mornings. And um, we had a service right, right before this. And then, and then Raider Church started and we started a little bit late tonight. But you're a part of something that's much bigger than this. And one of the ministries of this church is something called Hope City. And Hope City uh, is a prison ministry. We have th uh, three services on Sunday mornings in the Lubbock County Detention Center, and then one service on Monday nights at the County Residential Treatment Center, which is right across the street from LCDC. And so we have a pastor that oversees all that and a team of volunteers that go out to these facilities and do these services. And so we have worship and then they play our, our teaching from uh, the, the series that we do on Sunday mornings. And, and then uh, they have worship again. And, and so they do that week in and week out. Now, these volunteers, watch this. They show up at 7 a.m. Sunday mornings to set up. They do three services at LCDC that take them to about 1.30 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. And then they tear down and they're usually done about 2 p.m. So we have a group of volunteers that almost every single Sunday go all the way out by the airport. Most of them driving 15, 20, 25 minutes, which means they're leaving their houses about 6.30 and probably getting home around 2.30. And they are doing this every single week. And we have over 200 people between all those services. And we've seen many give their lives to Christ. We've seen many get baptized, but, but these men and women serve every single week. Can you imagine? I mean, think about the effort that it would take to do that. And they do it every week. These people are moms and dads. They work full-time jobs. I mean, they got, they got plenty of stuff. They're just as busy as you are. They, they are doing this week in and week out because they love Jesus and they want to serve Jesus. One of our mission partners that we partner with is a group called Harvest Evangelistic Association. They're down in Southern Mexico, right on the border of Guatemala. And I've known the leader of this ministry since I was in high school. And I've been going mission trips there and leading trips there for nearly 20 years now. 
And one of the things they do is these pastors conference or these training conferences for, for pastors and leaders and all these churches all over Southern Mexico. And I've spoken at some of them. I've done some training at some of them, but, but every time I'm there, I will meet some pastors and their wives and leaders from their church who have walked on foot 10 to 15 hours to attend these one or two hour trainings or these conferences. And then they turn around and walk 10 to 15 hours by foot back to their village, oftentimes in very dangerous and treacherous places. And it moves me to tears every time because I just can't believe the level of efforts these people will put out to be trained to do ministry for the cause of Christ. It blows me away. It humbles me. It's convicting. If you know the Apostle Peter in the scripture, one of the things you may not have realized is he was, he was married. And we actually have an account of how Peter and his wife died. You see, the church historian Eusebius recorded Clement's testimony, his eyewitness testimony of when Peter and his wife died. You see, Peter would not stop preaching the gospel of Jesus. And so they told him, you can either stop or you're gonna die. And he wouldn't stop. And so he and his wife were eventually arrested for preaching the good news about Jesus. And they took Peter's wife and they crucified her while Peter had to watch. He had to watch his wife being nailed to a cross. He had to watch, watch her scream in pain as she was nailed to a cross. Well, they lifted the cross up and Clement's eyewitness testimony said that when they lifted the cross up with Peter's wife on it, Peter cried out to his wife and said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord and what he's done for us. And after Peter had to watch his wife die by crucifixion, one of the most horrific and painful ways for a person to die, they took Peter and they began to nail him to a cross. But Peter said, don't crucify me right side up because I'm not worthy to die in the same way my Lord has died. And so they crucified Peter upside down right next to his wife. You see, I tell you that because this is where we come from. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is our history. This is in our DNA, not this casual, comfortable Christianity that many of us have grown accustomed to here in our country. No, 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 that, that, that's not normal Christianity. We are the weird ones. This is what's normal. Peter is what's normal. These pastors and their wives in Chiapas, that's, that's, that's what's normal. These, these men and women that are going out every single week to these prisons, 
That's what's normal. That's normal Christianity. That's where we come from. That's in our DNA. And listen, one day when you're in heaven, you're going to see these people and millions and millions of other people who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel and who have lived their lives for the sake of the gospel. And you're going to hear their stories. You're going to hear one right after the next for eternity. You will hear these stories of people who have lived for Jesus and died for Jesus. And then they are going to turn and look at you and they're gonna look at you in the eye and they're gonna say, brother, sister, tell me your story. Picture that. I I mean, don't you want a story to tell? Because I do. Man, I wanna have a story to tell of how I've, I've lived for Jesus. And if necessary, even had to die for Jesus. I want a story to tell and I want you to have a story to tell. And so my question is, will you stand with them? Like we said last week, Paul said to Timothy, hey, let's stand together and fight together for the cause of Christ. Like good soldiers of Jesus. That's what it looks like to be the church, to stand together, to fight together for the cause of Christ. Will you stand with them? Will you stand with us? and fight together for the cause of Christ in this day, in this time, on your campus. And if so, I would ask that you go to our website, RaiderChurch.com, click Get Connected in the menu. And as we head into this next semester, I would invite you that if you're not in a group, sign up to get in a group, stand together with us. You need to be in a group if you're gonna stand together with us to be disciples and make disciples. Find a place to start serving, whether that's here at Raider Church or with our church on Sunday mornings and the kids ministry, the youth ministry, greeting, whatever, media, greeting here at Raider. We've got all kinds of places for you to serve, but will you stand with us? And if so, you need to be in a group. You need to be here every week. You need to be in a small group. You need to be serving. If you will stand together with us and fight together with us for the cause of Christ, because that's what it looks like to be the church. We stand together, we fight together. Carrie Job wrote a song called The Cause of Christ. And the lyrics go like this, for this cause I live, for this cause I die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. All I once held dear, I will leave behind. For my joy is this, oh, the cause of Christ. It is not fame that I desire nor stature in my brother's eye. I pray it's said about my life that I live more to build your name than mine. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that these words in this song could be true in our lives, that it could be the cry of our hearts, that we would live and die for the cause of Christ. And so in this moment, as we sing, Jesus, would you remind us of what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, that those of us who now live in Christ would no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. That's why we're doing all this. That's why we're standing together and fighting together is for the cause of Christ. It's for you, Jesus, who died and rose 
again. And so as the words to this next song say, this old song, Jesus paid it all, and so all to him I owe. Would you teach our hearts to sing this song every single day? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. In Jesus' name, amen. Now would you stand as our team leads us in worship?